0: You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We are going to be continuing our sermon series today, Come and See. We're in week two, uh, so we're going to be in John chapter two. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter two. We're going to start right in verse One, but last week we had our anniversary weekend. It was just an awesome weekend to celebrate. People getting baptized and just an awesome, awesome Sunday. And we started that Sunday talking through John chapter one with the idea of Jesus really saying, Hey, come and see what this is all about. Come and see. What following me is all about he said to famously to some of the disciples if you thought that me seeing you under a fig tree was something special then hold on to your hats you haven't seen anything yet right because jesus is speaking and he is speaking to them and calling them to something greater he's saying come and see come and see and the author of john i said this last week but it it it, it's meant to be said again that at the end of his letter, he wrote this so that we would know that Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 20 verse 31 said, But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of this book. That's the whole purpose of this gospel. The reason that John wrote this is so that we would believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, and have life in his name. So, with all of that in mind, let's turn to John chapter two. We're going to start in verse one. It's going to be on the screen behind me. If you do not have your Bibles, you can follow along with us up there. We're going to read a few verses this morning. It says this: On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, "They have no more wine." Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, "My hour has not yet." Come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six, six stone water jars, the kind that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He then called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then they have the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Galilee was the first sign through which he was revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples and they stayed there for a few days. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes or if you're listening online, the title of my message is Do Whatever He Tells You. Do whatever he tells you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can speak to us, God. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to partake in communion and to partake in worshiping your name, God. We pray today that you would be glorified, God. We pray today that you would be lifted high. We love you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 To give you a little background, this is an interesting story. In Jewish culture, especially in this day and age, they love to celebrate things. And weddings were the largest celebration that you could have. In fact, check this out. Based on how well your hospitality was at the wedding, you would be judged by the community from that point forward. Sometimes to the point of legal action. Meaning, if you did not like the desserts at the wedding you could sue the bride and groom, okay? This is real, like this is crazy, you know what I mean? How many of us want to bring that back? You got some funky chicken, come on, somebody, you know what I mean, right? Where you're like, really, chicken cordon bleu again, you know? right? Jesus was invited to this wedding, and he's there, and he's presented there with his his mother, with his disciples, and it just really shows that Jesus was a big part of his community. He wasn't an isolated guy. He wasn't off by himself screaming in the wilderness. No, like he was a part of his community. He was a part of the, the things that were happening, and actually some scholars believe that this wedding was actually John, the author of the book of John. It was his actual wedding that Jesus was attending. So this, this wedding is happening and it's all good. It's, it's, it's a great time. And then a problem occurs. John chapter 2, again, we'll go back to verse 3 and 4, right? The wine was gone and Jesus' his mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Again, as I stated, for them to be out of wine was very bad. Okay, there's this scholar. He wrote this. To fail in providing adequately for the guests would involve a social disgrace. In a close-knit community of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten, and it would haunt the newlywed couple for all of their lives. That's a lot of pressure. Come on, somebody, right? You're like, whoa. I, somebody's like, you messed up the creme boule. We're in trouble for the rest of my life. They just keep bringing it up, every party. you got some people in your family. They keep bringing it up every, you remember when you did that? Every single party. You know what I'm talking about. And it's kind of the party that gets brought up. And so they run out of wine, and this is a big problem, right? They ran out of wine for one of two reasons, scholars believe. Either they were too poor, and so they were just hoping that a few people didn't show up, right? They're like hoping, I hope not a lot of people show up, so we got enough for everybody, or they did proper, or they didn't listen to the seven Ps of life and have proper prior planning, right? They didn't have the right planning. In the, either way, they were in trouble. Jesus' mother says to him, they have no more wine. Obviously, she's implying that he should do something about that, right? Like, you know when someone says something to you, but they don't outright say you should do it? Like they say, like, hey, the trash is full, or there's laundry on the ground, Not that I'm speaking from any personal experience at all, but you know what I'm talking about, right? They don't ask you to take out the trash. They just remind you that the trash is full or that your laundry is sitting in the dryer since last Tuesday. Jesus responds, woman, why do you involve me? Now, a lot of people think Jesus is being disrespectful here. He's not. Jesus is not being disrespectful by saying woman, you can actually equate the phrase woman to lady or even my lady. It was a term of respect in that day. So Jesus is not being disrespectful at all. And it's actually really important for us to understand that Jesus is not being disrespectful because the Old Testament tells that that we should honor our father and mother. So if Jesus in this moment is being flippant and is being rude and is being disrespectful to his mother, he would therefore, in fact, be breaking the Ten Commandments in which he very wrote, which would take him out of the running for the spotless lamb. So he was not being disrespectful to Mary at all. He was saying, why are you involving me? He wasn't speaking to her in a way that was wrong. He was just saying the truth. He knew all that he had to do here on earth, And he couldn't reveal himself too much. Jesus had to play this game when you read through the Gospels. It's very interesting. He's doing miracles and he's having incredible things, but he's always like trying to keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody this happened. Like don't tell anybody about it. Present yourself and do what you have to do, but just don't tell anybody it was from me. Because he's waiting until his time so he can get the most amount done here on earth before he's crucified. Because he knows the more miracles he does, the more teachings he has, the more things he says, people are going to recognize. And at this point, nothing has happened. At this point, Jesus has not started his public ministry. But Mary knew this. Think about this from Mary's perspective. She knew that Jesus was the son of God. She has been telling everyone that Jesus doesn't have a father per se because he was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. So she had to deal with the comments. She had to deal with the rumors. She had to deal with the awkward interactions. If people are this mad about a dessert, how bad do you think they treated her her whole life? Because Jesus, she, she, they thought that Jesus was not Joseph's son. They didn't believe her story. She had had to deal with all of that. But she knew who Jesus was firsthand. She had experienced God. And in this moment, for whatever reason, she decides not only to involve him, but to prepare the work for him. She knew he had been baptized by John. She knew his public ministry is about to happen. And so it's kind of like she's eager to get the wheels in motion. She's like, all right, let's do this thing. Because what does she understand? She understands something. And this is the first point if you're taking notes this morning. Mary understands something that we're going to see in this story. Is that preparation precedes the miraculous. Preparation precedes the miraculous. John 2.5. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you do whatever he tells you. Jesus says, it's not my time yet. And she looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And this is the point in our story where Jesus is not the Jesus that we know and love to this point. He was known as a carpenter. He was known as from Nazareth. But what did he have to do in understanding how to get more wine? Think about it from the servant's perspective. Right? Are they like, do whatever he tells me. Why would I do that? He's not some wine connoisseur. Like He's a, he's a carpenter. Who is this guy? So why, why should we listen to him? And I like the faith of Mary in this moment. She believed that Jesus would step up to the plate for this couple. She believed that Jesus would step and intervene in this situation. Because again, one more time, just to make sure that you know how important this is. In the ancient Near East, this is another theologian said, There was a strong element about weddings. For example, it was possible to take legal action in certain circumstances against a man who had failed to provide an appropriate wedding gift. That means that the supply of wine being diminished was more than a social embarrassment, it was potential life changing things. There's a lot at stake for this couple. And Jesus had already stated, hey, don't involve me. It's not my time. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do anything with this. But Mary's so persistent that she moves right past Jesus to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to. The faith that Mary has in this moment is not misguided because she knows who Jesus is and she knows what he can do. Her faith persists past his request to be left out of it. I'd never really seen this before in this passage when I was reading this passage, but that's one of the things I really like about going through a book of the Bible one by one. But I had never seen this. Jesus says, listen, don't involve me. I don't want to do anything to this. And Mary's faith and persistent attitude, the Bible also says, when you're seeking an answer from the Lord to ask, seek, and knock, right? To continue to persist. So she persists. And in this moment, Mary moves the heart of God. In this moment, Mary moves the heart of God. She didn't wait around for him to come to the idea. She took action. She took preparation. She took, went right to the servants and said, start preparing because whatever he's going to do, I know it's going to be great. I don't know how he's going to do it. But whatever he tells you to do, do it. She said, you see that guy over there in the brown shirt, long beard, eating a pita bread? Listen to him. I just believe Jesus ate pita bread. I don't understand why. It just fits with some honey on it. Maybe I'm just hungry. He's going to get this figured out. He's going to figure this out for this family. That's faith right there. That's faith. Do whatever he tells you. I pray that the faith of Mary is the same faith that we have in our community. That as we're stepping in life with people who are in difficult situations and they're facing impossible things, maybe legal action, maybe just embarrassment, maybe just life is beating them down. We can go to them and present Jesus and say, do whatever he tells you. That's the faith that we have because we know that our God will step up for them. We know that our God will be there for them. I pray that's the heart of this church That when people come in in difficult situations, we don't have to have some Christian cliche. We don't have to say, oh, this, this, or caveat this. We can just look up at the cross and say, Jesus is right there. Just do whatever he tells you. It seems like such a simple thing to do. Mary didn't have a solution for the problem, but she knew the one who could figure it out. I I felt this morning that there's many of us in this room, we don't have solutions for the problems that we are facing right now, but you know the one who can. So now the story turns to the servants. Verse 6, let's read it again. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill up those jars with water. So they filled them up to the brim. That brings us to our second point. Obedience activates the miraculous. Preparation precedes the miraculous. Obedience activates the miraculous. Check this out. They filled them out to the brim. These are 20 or 30 gallon jugs. So let me just ask you a logistical question. Have you ever carried a jug of water that was 20 or 30 gallons? Luckily for all of us, and maybe fortunate or unfortunate for me, I work at a place that has a lot of 55-gallon drums in it. And we get a bunch of drums, and because of negligence by other people, we're taking these drums off of a truck, and they're about half full. So 25, you know, 30 gallons. And let me tell you, those puppies are heavy. You know what I mean, right? Like they are heavy. You're trying to move these things and you're, you're awkwardly turning. I mean, how do you get these things without spilling? I'm just thinking about it logistically that these guys are listening to a carpenter to go and fill up stone water. I'm moving plastic barrels. These are stone things filled with water to the brim. How many servants were there? Two? Four? Four? Can you just imagine them just like holding it like this? All right, go, 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 go. Don't spill, don't spill, right? How are they doing this? I mean, this puppy had to weigh over 200 pounds. Not to mention they didn't just fill one to the brim. They filled all six to the brim. Why? Because Jesus asked and they obeyed. They didn't fill them up halfway. They didn't just fill up one. I'm not going to lie. If a carpenter right now came in here and said, fill up a jug of water, 55-gallon drum, I'm not filling it up all the way because I don't have the patience. Right? They filled it all the way to the top. And I believe it was their obedience that activated this miracle. Jesus used what he had, but you know what's interesting? This isn't the first time that God had done something similar to this miracle. So I want to take us to the Old Testament. There's a widow who has nothing left, and she's in trouble. She is uh, in debt. And her debtors are coming to take her two sons to sell them and to have them work for him to pay off her debts. And she's in trouble. She has nothing left. So what does she do? She turns to God. Let's read it in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys away as his slaves. Elijah replied, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing at all, she said, except a jar of olive oil, a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars. As each is filled, put it to one side." She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought all the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not one jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left. See, there's some similarities between these two stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Just like this young married couple with no wine left, this woman has nothing left. She's open to legal action. Her children are going to be taken from her in order to pay back her debt. She's in need of a miracle. So she goes to God and asks for help the same way that Mary did. Now in the Old Testament, they couldn't speak to God face to face because Jesus is God with skin on, but they could go to God's man who was a prophet. And in the Old Testament, God worked specifically through prophets. She knew because of her who her husband was that he had revered the Lord and worked with Elisha that Elisha could provide a miracle. So she goes to essentially speak to the Lord, and she approaches him and says, Listen, I'm in trouble. I need a miracle. He says, what do you have? Go around. Ask your neighbors for jars. She said, I have just one one small jar of oil. I just imagine a small little jar of olive oil. That's all I got left. He says, go around and get as many jars as you can. She comes back, and the oil kept flowing and flowing and flowing until the empty jars ran out. And this is super interesting to me because what if she just grabbed a couple jars there's a faith aspect in this. What if she just was like, yeah, I mean, Elisha's crazy, you know, like, he's bald. We already know that from the two kids that he called on eating a bear, you know, like, he, he's, he's, you know, he's, a, he's getting up there. All right, what's he going to do with two empty jars? I don't understand. What if they just did that? No, they didn't. He said specifically, don't just get a few. Get as many as you can. They obeyed bring the empty jars and they start pouring the oil. And I just imagine in that moment, you're pouring and you're like, something's happening here, right? You pour one put off the side, another one, another one, another one, you know what I mean, right? Like you're just pouring and pouring and pouring. And I can just, can you just imagine the excitement in her, in her face? Can you imagine what's happening? It's crazy to think about this story. And it's super interesting how it ends because their obedience activated the miraculous and the oil didn't stop flowing until the jars weren't available. In the story of the wine, they had way too much because they had filled all six. So they filled these jars up with with water. They bring them to... The guy he drinks it he's excited it's the best wine he's ever tasted this is incredible but it's at the end of the wedding they have six they have so much left over historically the commentator said that what they would have done is with however many would have been left over because it was such expensive and high-quality wine they would have sold it and started their life way better than they would have before in the same way with this woman She has all of these jars of oil. She can not only pay back her debts, but she can live for the rest of her life off of it. And I think this is just such a powerful thing that God followed their obedience. Their obedience activated the miraculous. Their obedience activated the oil. I believe their obedience, imagine the servants in that moment. They're the only ones who know that Jesus is the one who told them to fill up with, with water. They take a cup. What if it was watery? You know what I mean? I don't know what their cups looked like back then, but I'm sure it wasn't clean. You know? what, you're like, what, this, this doesn't look right. When did it happen? When did the miracle happen? When did the miracle change? Those are all the questions that go through my mind. I don't know about you when you're reading it. But the point that I think God is trying to make is, The miraculous power of Jesus is so prevalent. He's just waiting for our obedience. And I think there's a couple comparisons to be made here. First, this woman in the oil. If she hadn't gotten the empty jars, no oil flows. Or if she would have only gotten a few, maybe she would have gotten by for a couple months. Maybe she would have paid off the debt of one of her son, but not both of them. And I feel like this is the church today if we were to get oil, but only get a couple. Because I feel like what happens is we get in these situations where we're so desperate for God. We need God so desperately. We need him, we need him, we need him. We cry out. And a lot of times when the church isn't full, it's because we don't need him yet. It's just the truth. Look, after any hard situations throughout the country, up and down, economically, wars, the church starts to fill up because we are sitting here thinking, oh wait, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need some help. But why don't we just bring enough empty jars? Why is it that I feel like I'm so short-sighted? God's like, don't just bring a few. And I'm like, I only got time for a couple. And so maybe his miracle can only sustain me for a few moments or a few weeks. And sometimes I think we get so full of ourselves and our schedule and our thoughts and our preferences and what I gotta do and who I am that we just can't be filled. Because the moral of the story is God can't fill what isn't empty. So let me ask you honestly is there anything in your life that you need to get rid of? Is there anything in your heart that you need to let go of? Is there any bitterness? Is there any sin? Because the oil won't flow if you don't have room for it. In the same way, the water won't turn to wine if we don't fill with the right things. If we aren't filled with the Spirit of God, I believe we have no shot of surviving in this world. I got to tell you, it's getting harder and harder for me personally. I'm going to ask Lara if you could come to the keys of this time. It's getting harder and harder for me personally to keep my schedule clear and I think we need to maybe do a sermon series through what is Sabbath because I need, I need some help in that area and then I really have to focus in on it and do some research but what is Sabbath what is resting in God and I felt like God was convicting me in this moment because he's like you're so full your schedule's so full how many of us are go to phrases I'm just busy just busy. And I think some of it is actually legitimate. You have jobs, you have life, you have children, you have family, you have schedules. But then we get to this point where I feel like I'm running on empty and I'm asking God for a miracle. And He's asking me for a day set aside to worship Him, to trust in Him, and to rest in Him. Sometimes it's like, God, I can't hear your voice. I need to be filled. I can't hear your voice. I don't have a word for anyone. I don't have anything to say. He's like, maybe you're just too full of the world. Maybe you're too full of yourself. Maybe you're just too arrogant. He's like, maybe you can't hear me because you're listening to somebody else. I can't do what he tells me if I don't know what he's saying. And I need more of God. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is to do what he tells you. And I just felt like there were some people in this room who are here and you're like, I feel like I'm just waiting on that miracle time and time again. Preparation precedes the miraculous. Obedience activates the miraculous. And the rest is up to God. I want to implore you and encourage you to do whatever he tells you. And listen, I know whatever he tells you is not going to contradict Scripture. So whatever he tells you, let's run it through the Bible. Let's not just be like, he told me to be a butterfly catcher. I mean, I guess. You know, if you're one of those HGTV people and you get a $2 million budget on a house and you catch butterflies for a living, maybe that's you. Maybe I'm just bitter. I don't know, right? No, we... we, we got to do what he tells us. We gotta run it through scripture. We need more of him. I need Jesus to fill some jars in my life. I need him to bring some miraculous things in my life. And I can't tell you what he doesn't tell you. What he tells you isn't gonna be hard. I can't tell you it's not gonna be difficult. I can't tell you it's not gonna be confusing. But at the end of the day, he is what produces good wine. He is what fills the jars. He brings joy, he brings freedom, and he brings peace. And I believe he wants that in your life. I want to ask with heads bowed, eyes closed, all of this room. I just want to pray for you. If you're here and you say, you know what, God, I need you, I want to believe like I can have a miracle like Mary, I want to have the faith of Mary. prepare for the miraculous I don't want to obey when you ask I want to do what he tells me whatever you say God and if you're here this morning and you feel like God's telling you to do something you don't know if you have the faith or if you don't know you have the persistence to do it but you want to step forward or you just want to say God I need more of you I need full jars I need water turned into wine. I need a miracle this morning. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up just so I know what I'm praying for. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You can put those hands down. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for each and every one of us in this room. We pray today that you would be glorified. We pray today that you would be lifted high. God, I ask that you would be the center of it all. God, I pray today that you would give strength to those who need strength, that you would give peace to those who need peace. We know that you are the miracle working God, that you're a way maker, you're a miracle worker. And God, today we commit to doing what you tell us. We want to fill those jars to the brim. We want to grab as many empty jars as we can. We want to follow you with everything we have. I pray that you would be lifted high in our church, God. We ask you today to be glorified in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.